Okay, so let's go back to Luke. The verse there in Luke. Have you got it there on the slide? I think it's before the stewardship stuff. Oh, it's all gone now. Okay. Luke 16, 10 through 15. This is the parable Jesus just told about the master who gave his servants, three servants. This servant, he gave a lot. This servant, he gave a medium amount. This servant, he gave little. The one he gave a lot to doubled the money. The next servant increased the money. The last servant did nothing with the money, buried it. And the master's like, I don't like you. (laughs) And the servant's like, well, you're a tough master. I know how hard you are on people, so I just buried it because I didn't want you mad at me. So this is a servant who, number one, if we're learning, if we're learning from the analogy, right? Number one, being a good steward might have a lot to do with your identity in Christ. Do you know you're a son or a daughter? Do you know he's good and his plans for you are good? If you see God as this mean person in heaven, you're just trying to do enough to stay out of hell. Right? You're not going to live generously. You're going to live out of fear. And fear is going to make you controlling. You're going to bury treasures. <laughs> right? You're going to live. Okay. So he says this. Jesus says this following that parable. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. One of them is going to master you. It's like when God knows that Cain is going to kill his brother Abel. And he comes to Cain and he says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. You have to subdue it. Right? You've got to know something about money. Of all the capitals, money gets into our heart. Either you master it or it's going to master you. You've got to make a choice. You got to be intentional. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at the at Jesus. He said to them, "You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight." Jesus says hard things. <laughs> he says hard things. Um, there was a, if you've ever seen the Babylon Bee, it's a satire site, but they had one article about how um, progressive Christian criticizes Jesus for not being very Christ-like because <laughs> they actually read his words. <laughs> Jesus is, right, he's, he's all invitation to relationship, but he's challenged. He challenges us. He says, you've got to decide what you're gonna, what's going to be mastered by. You can't love both. And the things we tend, if we begin to love the world, if we love the world more than God, the things we begin to love are detestable in his sight. You gotta make a decision. Man, living in the middle isn't any fun. Jesus says, it'd be better if you were hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Again, hard words from Jesus, right? Why? If you were cold and didn't know God, he could save you and make you new. If you're hot, you're running after him. When you're lukewarm and in the middle, you're miserable. 
You've had this inoculation to God just enough, so you're like, ah, oh, I know all that. Oh, I know. Ugh. Well, then live it. Live it. Get hot or get cold. Get right or get left. The middle, the middle place is a miserable place. Okay, so what is he saying? You cannot love both God and money. You're going to be mastered by something. And he says, listen, you can't be trusted with true riches if you cannot master money. Well, what are the true riches that we're going after? We want to see people saved. We want to heal the sick and raise the dead and deliver the oppressed. That's the true riches. I need to learn in the kindergarten of money how to trust him if I'm going to move on to true riches. That's the real stuff. It's not about the money. God can make money out of nothing. My grandma, my grandparents were very poor. They planted churches all over the Midwest back in the day when Pentecostals were like the outsiders, right? And they were just poor as church mice. They always had food to eat. They always had money. There was one time my grandma, she was like, God, we have no money. I forget what she needed for the kids, but she's like, God, God, you've got you've to come through. It was like the zero hour. You know what I'm saying? One of those moments where you're like, God's got to come through or there's no way. She caught a $20 bill in the wind. <laughs> My grandma Boer, I'm not joking. She caught a $20 bill in the wind after praying that. And she was such an honest person that she took it to the police station and said, hey, if someone's lost a $20 bill, I found it. Um, and they were like, yeah, you can just keep it. <laughs> um, I'm just telling you, when you believe God, I, she also prayed one time. My grandpa was, I think, was hunting, um, you know, and there ended up being a snowstorm or something, and they didn't, they ran a coal in the house. And I mean, it was like snowstorm, you know, back in the day, this was like outhouse days. My dad grew up with an outhouse, so it was like a junior high. This was like outhouse days, there's no insulation in the walls. They had like a converted chicken coop they made into a house. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to have your fire on, or you could, you could freeze to death. It's deadly serious, right? They ran out of coal. My grandpa was gone. She didn't have any money. And she was like, God, God, you gotta, you gotta come through. And um, God told her, go look on the snow. And on this freshly fallen snow, she sent her kids out. There's eight of them. She sent the kids out and they're picking up snow. They're picking up coal sitting on top of the freshly fallen snow. Come on, when we're talking about believing God and believing God to, we're not talking about the kind of prosperity that's like, God, I need a Cadillac. We're it, prosperity has nothing to do with how much you have. Prosperity has to do with how much you give away, right? There were people in Jesus' day who were very, very wealthy. They come with their bags of money so everyone could see them, right? They weren't living prosperity. They didn't cost them anything. But he said that widow who just gave two mites, there's prosperity. You know what I'm saying? That that woman knows. That woman has actual generosity. Because it cost her something. So this has nothing to do about like, let's believe God for money so we can all drive Cadillacs. That's toxic. About just wanting to see God move in money so we can have a bunch of stuff. That's like the opposite of what he's talking about. But here's the deal. If you don't have the money you need to fulfill the dreams he's put on your heart, and fulfill the call he's put on your life, the things to do, then that's a problem. Right? This is one thing that my husband and I, we really, really turned us around a couple years ago, is God really challenged us to believe, because we grew up in the 80s with all the crazy preachers who were like, I need a jet airplane. 
sow $20 into this ministry, get 40 back, that kind of toxic selfish consumerism, Christianity, it was horrible. And so we just stayed away from the word prosperity. We'd even think about it because we were like, ugh, horrible, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Okay. So we would just stay away from it. And God really challenged us two or three years ago now because he was like, it isn't okay that you have enough for you. So you don't have to believe anymore for more. You know what I'm saying? Like my husband's really smart. He has this really great job. And so it's like, we had enough for ourselves and to give to the church and to give and help people occasionally. And he just showed us how selfish it is. Like you stop there because you have enough to feel like you're generous people. Like, do you have enough to fuel all the dreams I've put in your heart to do for the kingdom? Then you need to start believing for more. You need to start believing for me to move in finances. Because I put dreams in your heart. It wasn't believing for finances so we can have more stuff. It was belief for finances so we can do more kingdom stuff. And that's when we decided to build a tiny house. We were like, how much do we really need? Not much. Our entire family, all five people and both dogs, are in the same like three square feet all the time. We were like, how much house do we really need? Because we were literally within touching distance all the time. We're either in the family room or the dining room. You know what I'm saying? Like, do we need both? We've just started thinking like, well, how small could we actually live? Because we just have a heart. To, we just want to be able to be totally debt-free and do cool Jesus stuff. Just the interest on our mortgage. At that time, we figured it out. Just the interest on our mortgage every year could build multiple churches in Africa. Just the interest. Come on. Come on. We need to have a bigger vision, right, about money. And it's not to hoard in ourselves. It's you have like 70 or 80 years. And we've all started the clock on that already, right? So how much time do you have? Do you have the finances you need to fuel the vision? Well, come on. Then we need to start believing for greater things. And the greater things, it's the money. The money is a resource to do the greater thing. But we've got to master money if we want to move into the greater things. That's what Jesus says. You cannot be tr the true riches. You can't have until you master the smaller thing. So what does true riches look like? I think I have a, it's the side by side. We've talked about this. This is a fun one. We've done this. Oh, no, it's the, um, oh, you've got to go. Oh, here we go. Okay, so let's, let's say you, let's say you're like, oh, I don't know. I have some money. I can be generous out of what I can do myself, right? What I can just control. Or what if you start to believe God, you can do anything you want to do. You can send a $20 bill in the wind for a poor woman who needs food for her kids. You can do anything. Well, earthly riches, I think about, well, I'll buy someone a meal. Look how generous I am. But when we've tapped into true riches and the kingdom's flowing through our lives, we multiply one meal to feed thousands. Man, uh, look how generous I am. I fed someone. What if we can multiply food? Jesus did more than once. I'm just saying. Todd has this vision to go like into different neighborhoods and with a grill and just start grilling and bless people. Wouldn't it be fun if he went into that neighborhood with 500 hot dogs, but he ended up feeding 2,000 people? Like how fun would that be? He reaches down and there's still more buns in that. <laughs> like that's... Come on! That's fun! That's fun! Okay. 
Well, I can be generous, right, with my early riches. I can pay someone's hospital bill. Well, if you tap into the true spiritual riches, you can empty out the hospital because the sick got healed. Come on. That's where we want to live. You can give someone flowers for a funeral when you have a little bit of cash in your wallet. Or you can tap into the true spiritual riches and wreck the funeral because you raised the dead. Come on! Don't you want to live there? You can give to the poor or we can eliminate poverty in this city. Because they see the revelation of Jesus and they start depending on him. Come on. Listen, one of the worst things that could happen, let's say, let's say someone here won the lottery, which nobody will because we don't gamble, but <laughs> let's say somebody won that $1 billion lottery and they're like, we just want to give it to the church so we can do good works in Jackson. We want to pay everyone's rent who has need of rent for as long as they need it. That'd be like one of the worst things that could happen. It's one thing to help somebody in need with their rent one month because they had to go to the hospital and didn't anticipate whatever. It's another thing when they start depending on you like you're God. The, the helping them in a one-time thing shows them how much God loves them, but they need to begin, it's only to, so they can put their eyes on him and begin to find him as their source. People can't be the source. Do you know how disempowered the city would live if we could take care of everyone's needs? We want to raise up powerful people, which means there might be a moment of generosity that points to Jesus, but we want them to find Jesus because he wants to be their source. Are you, are you with me? Okay. Let's keep going. Oh, I see. I'm totally out of order. I'm really sorry. Out of order. Okay. If we're going to live in that place with true spiritual blessings, there's a reason why we have to master our capitals, namely money. Money is a big one because that's where our heart gets all caught up. Because the glory of God, when it comes to rest on your life in greater ways, because we already have the king without measure, every single believer. When the glory of God comes to rest in your life in greater and greater ways, because we want to see his glory cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, right? As we see that come to rest in our city and rest in our lives, glory is a heavy thing. God is much more substantial than we are. His presence is much more substantial than our presence. There are times, I mean, there's goofy things people do, but there's times when God's presence is so heavy, you've got to sit. Have you been there? Sometimes your body just can't take it and it falls down. Like, his glory is... Heavy, and I'm telling you, the glory of God resting on an unsanctified life will crush it. But the glory of God resting on a sanctified life will establish it. When you have aligned your heart with him, and you're like, everything I am is yours, everything I have is yours, you are Lord of all of it. When you've, when you've done that, God's presence comes into your life in greater ways, and you grow in strength. When that glory comes to an unsanctified life where you're all in control and you can't, right? I'm not saying you're not a believer, you're a believer, but you're, he's not Lord of half your life because you're so afraid to let him be in control. It'll crush you. 
So God, sanctify everything my hand touches. Sanctify everything you make me a steward of. What is something that's sanctified? It's something that's given to him, given to his presence. God, it's all yours. It's all yours. And he wants to sanctify every single area of our lives. Every single, every single capital that we manage. Money's just one. You've got to allow him to sanctify your relational capital, your relationships. One of the first things, and when, when Paul talks about, hey, don't live in this way because you can't experience the kingdom when you live in this way, one of the first things in, in all of those series of things, don't do these things, is sexual sin. Why? You introduce that into a relationship where there isn't covenant to handle it, and what happens? The relationship can't handle it. Makes you weird. Come on. Sex outside of covenant makes people weird. They make movies about it. Women with scissors. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) come on. You've got to let God sanctify that part of your life and then it brings joy and unity and intimacy. But man, you put it outside of a sanctified place, it'll destroy people. You get what I'm saying? We've got to say, God, every single thing in my life, let it be sanctified to you. Your way, not my way. And then as God's presence comes and rests, oh, we rise up in it, become powerful in it. Our generosity awakens people to God's goodness. Proverbs 25, 22. Your surprising generosity will awaken the conscience of the unbeliever and God will reward you with favor. In the old translations, it's talking about heaping coals. People despitefully use and you heap coals upon them. You respond with your relational capital with generosity and it awakens their conscience. They're convicted by it. That's a powerful thing. There are people who seem so hard to the gospel and God will give you a moment where you can express generosity, not just random acts of kindness, but in his name. Jesus says, give those who need a cup of cold water in my name. Give them your coat in my name. We're not just doing random acts of kindness. We're saying Jesus loves you. God is, this is, we're pointing them back to God as we do it. But I'm saying there are people who seem so hard to the gospel but God will give you a window with some random generosity and it will awaken their conscience to him. Your unexpected, surprising generosity. I have a friend. Um, unfortunately, his name is Jim Baker. Um, <clears throat> not that Jim Baker. <laughs> it's a different Jim Baker. And he's a pastor. I'm telling you, it's a problem. It's a problem all the time. Anyway, um, with 1K, but nobody knows. Okay, anyway, he's about my age. We went to junior high and high school together and he's a pastor in Ohio, a buddy of mine. Um, but he tells this story, and I just like his story, so I'm going to tell his story to you. Um, so he was at home, he was working, he was busy, and a guy came to sell him something, which normally is a very short conversation, you know what I'm saying? But the guy said something, and he just thought, I don't know, some of this guy, he's like, he's going for it, and he's being ingenuitive, and he wanted to give him a chance. So he sits down, invites him in, sits down with this guy, this guy's trying to sell him something, and he happens to mention, like, what do you do? And Jim tells my pastor, and he's like, oh, I'm an atheist, you know. We probably wouldn't be buddies. 
And Jim's like, I don't know. And Jim just starts telling him these stories about people that get healed because he sees a lot of healing as well. Um, people that get healed and stuff and the guy's totally unmoved by it. Okay, whatever. Because sometimes people don't even have a language for God, right? They don't even, you're talking, you're talking like Greek to them. They don't, healing, okay, whatever. Um, but later on in the conversation, the guy happened to mention, um, he come, he, the guy came from a pretty rough circumstance, was kind of climbing out of it. And I don't know if it was his cousin or his brother, but someone had died and there was a funeral and he was talking about, cause Jim was like, yeah, we pray for stuff. We see God move. He's like, well, if you think about it, pray for us because we need still like, it was a few hundred dollars for the funeral. And Jim was like, God just told him, do it. So Jim went and got his checkbook and said, how much exactly do you need? And he wrote him a check for what the guy needed for the funeral. And the guy was so moved. And Jim's like, I just feel like God wants to show you like he is real and he loves you. Like he knows your name and he wants you to know that. And um, the guy was totally moved. Jim had told him about cancer getting healed and all kinds of stuff, but it was that act of generosity that opened up that guy's heart. And then later on, a couple days later, Jim felt like God was telling him, you need to go to the funeral. Just go to the funeral, just to love this guy. Um, Jim's busy and he was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it, you know, for sure. And so he texted the guy and said, hey, do you care if I come to the funeral? Does that seem odd? And the guy said, no, that seems totally appropriate. You should come. So Jim comes in his pastor clothes uh, to a funeral. He, doesn't, he wasn't planning on doing anything. He just came in, you know, the suit and tie and all that. And he comes to the funeral. It's like all like face tattoo stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he was way overdressed for the funeral. But this guy who had told him like a week ago, he was an atheist. This guy starts introducing Jim to everybody. This is my pastor. This is my pastor. This is my pastor. And Jim's like, I sat down. All the kids are sitting on my lap. People are coming over and hugging me and crying. And, and there's all this relation that got created from this guy who in reaction to, saying, to Jim saying he was a pastor was like, oh, I'm an atheist. We will never connect, right? You just, you just never know. Surprising generosity can awaken people's conscience and they become open to God in a way they never would have been before. So three things I want us to do as we think about generosity heading into the Christmas season. And man, don't put yourself in debt in Christmas. Don't put yourself in debt for Christmas. It'll totally sabotage generosity in your life. You'll spend all of January and February and March climbing out of debt Come on. Our kids get a piece of clothing, a book, and something they want. <laughs> like that's, come on. Now you can do what you want to do. I'm just saying, don't go in debt for Christmas. Budget, budget. So the number one thing, the number one thing, budget for generosity. If you want to become someone who lives out of a radical generosity, budget for generosity. Budget it. So there's the money you give to the Lord, there's tithes and offerings and those kinds of things, but separately budget for generosity. Now, if you're on a super tight budget, do not tell yourself, do not tell yourself, well, I can't do anything significant. If you're on a really tight budget, I'm telling you, when I was like a U.S. missionary, planters in Newark, I had no money, but I would budget $5 a month. Like I gave to the Lord, but I was like, I don't have any money, but I can set aside five bucks and buy somebody coffee. See yourself as a generous person. 
Don't see yourself as someone who someday I can be. You can be that now. And like that widow with two mites, she was the most radically generous person in that room. Your $5 coffee, right, is going to be more generous than what somebody could do to pay somebody's rent. Come on. Because it's a proportion of what you have, right? The generosity, the prosperity is out of what you give away. So listen, here's what you might do if you're on a really tight budget. And you're like, God, I am a generous person. <laughs> I am a generous person. Buy a $5 Starbucks card. Keep it in your wallet. Do it every month. And then start praying, God, show me the person I want to bless. Show me the person you want to bless through me. Or whatever. Whatever you choose to do with it. But you've got to see yourself now as a person of generosity because it's not about how much you make. It's about a position of your heart and you want to position your heart for it. And I'm telling you, and this is true, that those who sow little reap little. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said as well. Jesus, Luke. Okay, Paul. We're going to settle on Paul, Corinthians, right? But those who sow little reap little. This is important. And I'm not talking about the... I'll send you my prayer hanky if you give me $29.99. I'm not talking about that kind of sewing stuff. I'm talking about when you say to the Lord, I want to live in generosity and out of what I have, I'm going to do it. Then guess what? It opens up all kinds of things for you. Number one, you start thinking different immediately. And how many of you know, sometimes when your thinking is so shrouded in poverty mentality, you can't even position your heart to receive from God. Because you're so downcast. No matter what you have in your pocket, budget now. If you're like, I can save a dollar a week, then do that. Save that dollar a week, and at the end of a month, you got four or five bucks, bless somebody. Bless somebody. Every single person can do it. Here's another reason why you need to budget for generosity. We are not the savior of the world. Jesus is the savior of the world. And when you are regularly budgeting for generosity weekly or monthly, then you're being intentional about who God wants to bless. If you don't do that, here's what will happen because Christians are nice people. Everybody's need will become what you feel obligated to do. And Jesus didn't respond to need. He responded to hearts. Hearts that were turned towards him and crying out to him, those are the ones he ministered to. There were lots of needs that didn't get met in the first century when Jesus was alive. So what will happen is if, you don't, if you're not intentional about it, People will come to you with a sad story and you'll feel like, I guess I should. I guess I should do that. And then afterwards, you kind of feel yucky about it. How many of you have been there where you're like, oh. But really, because you hadn't been intentionally generous as a pattern, it left you open to be taken advantage of. When you're intentional and you're asking God what to do, you don't have to second guess it. What did Jesus do? He said, I say what I hear my father saying. I do what I see my father doing. And so when someone has an ask for you and it resonates with you because you've been intentionally looking and, and it resonates with what, then you don't feel like, oh, I guess I should if I'm a good Christian, I should do that. You've already been living a pattern of generosity. So you're not trying to prove you're a good Christian by meeting someone's need that God's not doing right then. Are you with me? Because you've been intentionally looking and setting aside for that. So when that need comes up and it's God saying, do it, you don't have to second guess it. You don't have to be like, well, are they going to buy drugs with that? Are they going to do the right thing with that? It, God's doing it. I don't need to ask any questions about it. I can just give it. There are people, we, just because of the church phone and the building, the asks are all the time. 
We can't possibly meet all the ask people have for stuff from us. It's not possible. And it's not wise either, honestly. But I'm telling you, when it feels like God's doing it, it's a joy. When it resonates like God just wants to bless this person this moment, it's a joy to do. And I don't ever second guess it. There are times people have come in and I know they're going to use the money for drugs. They'll say, hey, I need, I need 10 bucks. There's one time God was like, give him 20. And I felt like, man, God, they're going to use it for drugs. And he's like, I didn't ask your opinion. Like, just tell them I see them and I want to bless them. I'm telling you. And I said to him, I said, honestly, I said, I don't normally give out money. And 20 bucks is all I have in my wallet. I feel like God told me to give you 20. Um, this is right here in this, by this front door. And I said, um, I normally don't do it. But I really felt like when you said it, that God just wants to say to you right now, he loves you and he sees you. And I told him, I said, I normally don't give out cash because honestly, a lot of it's just used for drugs. And I even said that to God when he told me to give you the 20. And God said he didn't care. He wanted just to love you in this moment. You needed to know you're seen by God. And this guy just starts gushing. You know, he's like, I was going to use it for drugs. <laughs> I know what happened to him. I told him, come back. And I gave him all kinds of stuff and contact information, whatever. And I never saw him again. But how many of you know, like, you don't have to, when, when you're hearing from God to do it, you just can do it. I don't have to weigh all, I don't have to make him fill out an application. You know what I'm saying? Like, and there's a lot of times God wants to bless somebody who has more than you. Sometimes you're like, God, that person seems fine, but he just wants to show them generosity in a moment. We're all weighing needs. That's not what he's doing. So if, when you're intentional about it, you budget for it monthly or weekly, however you do it, and it's a part of your prayer life, God, show me. Show me who you want to bless. Then you can be intentional about your generosity. And then you're not taken advantage of because otherwise you'll feel like all of the cares of the world are yours to fulfill. That everyone's ask is your responsibility. And then you won't be generous at all because it will be overwhelming. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's so many needs, I can't meet them, I won't meet any. Because I don't even know where to start. So start with this. You budget it, then you know how much you're going to give, and then look for where God's going to tell you to be generous. Proverbs 25, 22, and again, it's not just for people that are, are poor. It's for anybody he might want to bless, but Proverbs 19, 17 says this, whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. That's radical. When I see someone who's just down and out, they have hit a bad streak. They are not doing well, right? Life is kicking them while they're down. And I just, in a moment of generosity, just bless them in Jesus' name. What does God say? You've lent to me. Now I am in your debt. You have lent to the Lord. Come on. And he says, I will bring you favor as a result of that. I don't know. I don't know. Can you imagine? God of the universe, I'm your creditor. Come on! That's, he loves a poor, man, God is close to the brokenhearted. You say, but people make really bad, they might have made 20,000 bad decisions, but he's still close to the brokenhearted. 
And when I'm just doing what he's doing, I don't carry any judgment about it because he's the one who wants to do it for his own reasons. Are you with me? So budget. It seems really practical, but do it. Just budget, whatever it is. And even if you have a small amount, budget that small amount. Buy a Starbucks gift card once a month. Do it. You've got to position yourself to start thinking. You are a generous person. That brings us to number two. There's only three, so I'll go quick. Number two, believe that the word of God is a revelation of himself to you. The word of God is not about us. The word of God is about him. <laughs> he, is the, he is the protagonist of every story in the Bible. We read it first to say, what does this reveal about God? Not what does it say to me? But the word of God is a revelation of himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. So when you read it, believe it's including you. When you read about generosity, don't say, well, that's somebody else who's debt-free. <clears throat> that's somebody who has more money. When you read about generosity, read it and say, God, teach me how to be generous right now where I'm at. That's me right now. And maybe it's a widow's might, but you have to start seeing yourself in, in the words of scripture, when God reveals himself and shows what's true about what he does and who we are, we need to start believing it's true. Not about everybody else, but about me as well. For instance, um, <clears throat> I read this proverb. I think I shared this with you guys before. I read this proverb, Proverbs 13, 22. It says, a wise person leaves an inheritance to their grandchildren. A wise person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. When I read that, this is a couple years ago, I was like, oh, how many millions would you have to have to leave an inheritance to your grandchildren? Let's say Mitch and I, we kick the bucket with a million dollars left. We have three sons. That's like 333,000 apiece. Well, in the course of their life, they can probably use 333,000. They buy a house, they send their kids to college, nothing left for the kids. I mean, this is how I was thinking, like, God, how, unless you're really wealthy, how do you do that? Is that just for really wealthy people, that proverb? And God really began to spoke to me, like, it's all for you. And he gives you ideas and how to do it, which is number two, ask him for wisdom and how to live it out. So when I began to believe that scripture's for me too, not just for somebody else, for me too, God gave us an idea. We started thinking, you know what, if we saved right now for our grandkids, like of course what we have, we're gonna give an inheritance to our kids, but if we start saving right now, especially for our grandkids, even if we just said $100 a year, we're gonna save in something that has compounding interest for our grandkids. And let's say we're gonna have 20 grandkids. <laughs> let's call it 20. And we save $100 a piece for our grandkids. Do you know that by the time that our grandkids would retire, because of how compound interest works, it goes crazy after 40 years. It goes crazy after 40 years. If we just saved $100 a year for our grandkids, by the time they retire, which is going to be like 75, 80 years from now, by the time they retire, that money will have turned into $3.7 million dollars. Because 80 years in compound interest is awesome. So if we plan on 20 grandkids and we save $2,000 a year, in 80 years, that's $3.7 million. When they retire, 
I don't know. Do you wish that somebody 80 years ago had put away some compounding interest for you for retirement? Because that's pretty awesome. Do you see what I'm saying? Because you read stuff and think, oh, someday I'll do that. Someday, God, how can I, if you say that's what a wise person does, how can I be wise right now? How can I be wise right now? I don't have millions of dollars, but you know what? I could save 100 a year toward my grandkids. Did you see what I'm saying? We tend to read that stuff and say, oh, someday when this happens, or I get a raise, or someday when these relationships are worked out, then I'll be really smart about my relational capital, right? We tend to say someday. You need to see yourself in what God is saying in his word. And then you need to ask him for wisdom. Well, then how do I do it? Because I don't have millions of dollars. We still have debt. We still owe a mortgage. How do I do that? That was a great idea. Yes! And he will show you how to be wise. Not someday, right now with the resources you have. And he can increase that. But do you get what I'm saying? It's the difference between kind of being a victim, poverty mentality, which we live in a community full of poverty mentality. Everyone, nothing's there, right? We've got to rise above that. Ask him for wisdom. And I'll end on this. Ask him for wisdom how to live it out. This is going to force you in your abiding time to listen to him. When you come to the word and it tells you how to manage one of these five capitals, your money, your mind, your relationships, your physical capital, your spiritual capital, those five capitals, when you come to the word and it addresses one of those, which is going to be a lot, you can stop and say, God, show me. Show me what to do with that. Show me your strategy for me. Because his strategy for you is not going to be overwhelming. It's going to be joyful. It's going to feel hopeful. Here's the deal. If you're not asking him for wisdom and how to do it, the yoke will not be easy and the burden will not be light. Your capitals will crush you. Your relationships will always be too hard. Your money will never be enough. You're right. If you have to believe he will give you wisdom and that he wants to speak to you. When you can't hear God or don't take time to hear God, law is your only alternative. And the law is heavy. When you can't hear God, law is your only alternative. When he doesn't guide you, all he can, when you won't let him guide you, all he can give you are laws, statutes, judgments, commandments. But what he really wants is relationship. Prayer is the most effective and meaningful activity. It becomes dynamic when it moves from a monologue to a dialogue. I expect he's going to speak to me. He's going to give me wisdom for this area. Yeah? Spirit-born specific action and power flow as a natural result of my love relationship with God, causing the activities of my life to be of the spirit and not of the flesh. So now I'm coming from a spiritual perspective and not a worldly perspective. Now I'm living from the place where all the physical things came from, right? It gives me a spiritual perspective. I live out of the spirit, not the flesh. This keeps my relationship with the king of kings from being simply self-indulgent on my part and helps me to realize that others need to be touched by the love of God. When I'm listening and he's giving me strategies, this is when he begins to show me like, yeah, if you stay in control, that's how much you can do. But if you let me be in control, look at the true riches I can unleash on that situation.
You want to stay in control of that relationship or you want to give it to me and let me unleash true spiritual riches in that relationship? You want to stay in control of that pot of money, big or small? Well, here's how much you can do or I can unleash true spiritual (laughs) riches into that. Yeah? You want to believe that you can only, all your wisdom comes from here and you got to stay in control or you want to release your mind to me and let me flood you with spiritual wisdom you will understand things you never understood. You'll have competencies you never learned. Come on, if you would stand. Everything in this physical world, just a resource. He's our source. He's our source. And the real challenge in generosity is that we fully put our faith in him. God, I trust you above all things. I trust you above all capitals. We have to relinquish control and say, sanctify everything in my life. Every single thing I have is yours. My money, my relationships, my mind. Everything I have is yours. Sanctify it. And now let rivers of water flow out of me, true spiritual riches. Things I could have never made happen. But you'll make happen to glorify your name. So good. Prayer team, if you would come on up. We're going to respond to God and worship. If you'd like prayer, come up and get prayer. You can get prayer for anything. If you're sick in body and need healing, you can get prayer. If you've come with a, a, a load of care on your mind, you can come and get prayer. If God's stirring up things from the sermon, you can get prayer. I want to call for one very specific thing. Um, In terms of physical capital, which is like our time, our energy, our strength, I really felt like God was saying, there's people in the room who feel like, man, what can I get off my plate so I can manage things better, right? And sometimes you've got to do that. But I really felt God was saying, like, there's people in the room, they need to know that a lot of their strength and energy is getting taken up in worry and anxiety. For some people, maybe it's like, offenses you think about or maybe it's not offenses toward other people but in your own mind you replace stuff and think oh why didn't I say this why did I do that and you're constantly like hard on yourself and it's taking up strength and energy and if you will take your internal life that physical capital your mind and your intellectual capital your mind and all that energy you're putting into those thoughts in your mind and you will give those to God and you will stop them when they start you say no you get under the feet of Jesus I'm not going to dwell on that I'm not going to carry guilt carry shame carry offenses carry any of that the yoke will immediately become easy and the burden will become light you'll have enough energy and strength for the things that God has put on your plate I just feel like there's a word of freedom in the house today. There's a word of freedom. Some of you, just your mind is so weighed down. And it can even feel responsible, like I'm trying to figure things out. Man, take it to him. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Come to him in your abiding time and say, God, you got to give me wisdom on that because I can't spend all day trying to figure it out. It's draining me. (laughs) I just feel like, man, there's maybe more than one person in this room that's for you. There's freedom in the house today if you want it. There's freedom in the house today if you want it. God will free up your mind. 
So let's respond to him for anything that you may have in your heart, but let's respond to him. You can get prayer from the prayer team members here and then back, she'll answer you back there. You can pray with any believer near you because we all have the kingdom without measure. But let's take time to respond to God in worship and in prayer. Amen.
Hallelujah, Father. Lord, we just come before you, God. Father, we love you. We just open our hearts to you, God. We just want to worship you, Father. You are worthy, God. You bring such freedom to lives, Father. We praise you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Father. Worthy are you, God. Worthy are you, Father. Praise your mighty name,
you're getting prayer, just keep getting prayer. Just coming out of Thanksgiving and into this season of Advent. We're just going to express our thankfulness to God before we pray together. One thing I want you to um, know about, if you haven't already seen it on the digital calendar, is um, December 9th. Um, there's a young guy coming. He's a campus missionary. Um, his name is John Mark Baker, and he moves the prophetic and healing. And um, I'm just excited for him to come. He's an evangelist by nature. He's just a soul winner. And one of the most humble guys you will ever meet in your whole life. December 9th, I encourage you, bring somebody with you, especially someone who doesn't know Jesus. Because um, how many of you know, like, when people move humbly in the gifts, just it's sweet. It's sweet. People you know need to experience God's presence who know him or don't know him. I encourage you, December 9th, good time to bring him. It's always a good time to bring him, but I'm excited. Sometimes it's good to have a voice in the house seeding something into us that we need. Amen. Would you sing with me? Can you start us, Shanna? Sing it. Great. 
Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. Encourage somebody before you go. Grab two or three chairs. Alan will help us know where to go.